What would you do if I told you a story about a man who was so well-loved by his community that they had to move the case so that they could get a conviction? What if I told you that this man did so much good, donated so much money, cars, homes, scholarships even to the schools? What if I told you this man was a murderer? Would you believe me or would you say that I was crazy living in some kind of fantasy world? Well, I hate to inform you, but it's a true story. And it's the story of Bernie Tita and Miss Nugent. Hey y'all, so welcome to the first ever episode of Cryptids, Crime, and Solo Cups. I'm your host, Skeeter, and today we are going to be covering the case of Bernie Tita. Anyone that lives in Texas just about knows the story, but I want to cover it a little more in depth. And a lot of people outside the state may know the story too because they made a movie about it. Like I said, sounds kind of like uh, sounds kind of like a story, right? Well, I guess it is. So, in August 18th, 1997, Marjorie Nugent was found stuffed in her cooler where she had been for nine months after being shot in the back four times by her travel companion, business manager, and friend, Bernie Tita. Now, to start off, I want to tell you a little bit about the area and a little bit about Bernie himself. Um, Carthage, Texas is a small town of, at the time, about 6,500 people and was listed in the Best Small Towns in America, Volume 2, as the best small town in Texas. But in reality, Carthage is full of a bunch of people that moved there, that were born there, my bad. Don't know why anybody would want to move to Carthage. But Carthage is actually full of a bunch of people that were born there and then never bothered to leave. Uh, Or they are people that have what we always called old money, which is money from the oil boom, the gas boom (laughs) in the 40s and 50s. And I promise you, I'm not talking out of my ass on this. I actually grew up about 30 minutes from Carthage. So (laughs) Bernie was the boogeyman. All right, so in 1985, Hawthorne Funeral Home hired a new assistant funeral director from Louisiana, Bernhard Bernie Tita II. He was 25 at the time he was hired, and his boss always said that it didn't matter what part of the funeral business you needed Bernie to take care of, he could do it. He could do embalming, hair, makeup, comfort the family, sing songs, deliver eulogies, quote scripture, and anything else. When I say this man is a jack of all trades when it came to the funeral business, I mean it. As a matter of fact, he started doing this when he was just 15. His boss actually said he was probably one of the most qualified young men I had ever seen. Bernie worked at the funeral home for nine years before he finally quit to work full-time with Miss Nugent. 
So, like I said, a little bit about Bernie. He was born August 2nd, 1958 to Bernhard Tita and Leela May Jester in Tyler, Texas. Which, I love that name, Leela May. That's so cute. Um, Bernhard Sr. actually moved his family to the U.S. from Russia in 1926 and had made a living as a music professor in various universities across the state. Um, he worked in cities like San Antonio, Dallas, Kilgore, and Abilene. Uh, his parents got married when he was, his father was 45 and mother was 25, and they had Bernie the next year. It sounds like overall things were going to go well, but unfortunately when Bernie was only a year old, his mother was killed in a car accident where his father had been driving. Now, she was only... Oh, my bad. He was three years old. Because she was 28 when this happened. I can't read my notes. But according to Bernie, his father never forgave himself. And he had started drinking really heavy. Which... I guess if I was driving with my partner in the passenger seat and... Like, I mean, I don't know. I already drink, but not not that heavy. So I, I couldn't imagine. I can imagine that was heartbreaking, because it doesn't it didn't say whether Bernhardt was married before he met Lila May, but if he waited that long to get married, I feel like I don't know. Like maybe there's something there. Maybe I don't know. But in 1963, Bernhardt remarried to a woman named Clara Catherine Wiley, who was 25, and Bernhardt was 50. You know what? That's not what we're here to judge. Okay, once married, the couple had another child, and they ended up moving to Abilene. But unfortunately, in 1973, Bernhardt Sr. passed away and left Bernie to live with his stepmother and sister. Now, like I said, Bernie was only 15 at the time, and to help support his family, he took up a job at the local funeral home. Uh, he would do yard work, and as he got older, he began helping with the funeral services. So, kind of like handing out pamphlets, you know, tissues, just basic stuff. Uh, in an interview with CBS News, Bernie claims that at the age of 12, uh, he had been molested by his uncle, Elmer Doucette, and he's quoted as saying, 12 was when my uncle began molesting me, said Tita. Doucette has always denied the allegations, but I read somewhere, I don't remember where exactly, that two or three other boys came forward and claimed that Doucette had also molested them. I, I don't know the truth behind the claims. I'm, I'm not from Abilene. Uh, the interviewer asked Bernie if it darkened his world in some way, and he replied, yes, it did. Now, this is going to come up later, so just kind of keep it in mind while I go through this. Um, but Bernie's sister said that he felt it was his calling to help people, which is why he enjoyed his job at the funeral home. He enjoyed being able to help people in their time of need. She was quoted as saying in high school that he wasn't a dour boy. He was popular in high school, and for kicks, he'd sneak the hearse on Fridays out of the funeral home and drive a bunch of us around Abilene. 
you know, we all need a friend that's gonna steal like the hearse from their job and uh, and take you on a joyride. I'm I'm just saying, like, I didn't have friends like that in high school, but I'm I'm not terribly old yet. So if if anybody I know IRL ends up hearing this and they have access to a hearse, like I'd I'd be down. Uh, but he said a long time ago that he was meant to take care of others, and I think that's why the funeral business appealed to him. So, we fast forward to 1976. Bernie graduates from Cooper High School and attended McNeese State University in Lake Charles, Louisiana, where he graduated with an associate's degree in mortuary science. This is so fitting, and I always had to look for the irony in this situation that the mortician would be the one to do this. But... Not long after 1976 and 1985, our story truly begins when Bernie moves to Carthage to work at Hawthorne Funeral Home. He quickly became a town favorite. Like, if there was a chart, Bernie would have been at the top of it. He was number one in Carthage. Everybody loved him. Bernie could do no wrong. Now, earlier when I said... Bernie would go the extra mile. Yeah, absolutely. Like, he was always checking on the widows in town. He'd give them gift baskets, and after their spouses would pass, he'd do regular checkups on him. Whether it was going to talk to them at church or running by their house, like I said, with a gift basket, or even take them out to dinner, because he would do that a lot. He would take um, his little grieving widows out to dinner. Um... Make sure that they were okay. And this is actually how he ended up meeting Miss Nugent, who just so happened to be the wealthiest widow in town. Now, people say that Bernie had a thing for the wealthy widows, but not really. I think he just... I agree with the sister. I think Bernie liked helping people because... This, he took a special interest in a widow named Gracie Duke, who was a mechanic's widow, and she had once complained to Tita about an ache in her bones, so he took her to Hot Springs, Arkansas, so she could soak her joints in the bath. Like, again, I'm not condoning anything that Bernie does later on, but... If any of my friends want to take me to Hot Springs so I could soak in the warm baths, like, I would be down. 100% down. Uh, but yeah, March 1990, um, the death of her husband brought Bernie Tita and Marjorie Nugent together. Now, I say wealthiest woman in Carthage because she was worth an estimated 5 to $10 million, and that's not really counting her estate which was a solid $10 million probably in itself. Now, how did Marjorie come into all this money in such a small town? Yeah, remember that that old money? Yeah, so we need to talk about Marjorie for a second. Let me, let me break this down for you. So Marjorie Nugent was born 1915, just kind of right outside Carthage. Um, her father ran a grocery store, and at the time, Marjorie Midget 
attended Louisiana Tech, where she met her future husband, R.L. Rod Nugent. Nugent. <laughs> he had recently graduated from the university with a degree in electrical engineering. So, at this point in time, Rod is going places. Like, he had a degree. He had a degree that would help him in the oil field, gas field, anything really, be an electrician. Like, Rod was going places. And soon after they were married, he definitely did. He took a job with Magnolia Oil, which is, guess what? Mobile. Yeah. I don't know if they sold out, changed their name, whatever, but Rod worked for Mobile Oil, you know, one of the biggest gas companies in at least the United States, if not the world. So the two lived in multiple states throughout their life, Louisiana, New Mexico, Texas, where they had actually spent more than a dozen years in Midland, which is Texas, raising their only child, Rod Jr. Now... 1989, Rod and Marjorie moved back to Carthage, where he bought controlling interest in the First National Bank of Carthage. And the couple built, you know how I said her house wasn't included? Yeah, they built an expansive 6,000 square foot home on the edge of town, built out of solid stone, and was even surrounded by a stone wall and had electric gates. Now, that's you know what? This is already going to have an adult rating. That's fucking impressive. That is fucking impressive. There is literally almost a square foot of house per person in Carthage. Now, if I had that money, if I had a fraction of that money, I, I would not move back to Carthage. <laughs> I would live anywhere but... Carthage, Carthage ain't it. Carthage ain't it. My dad grew up in Carthage and actually talked to Bernie and Miss Nugent quite a few times, even though, as we're going to learn in a minute, Miss Nugent is a freaking sourpuss. But, whew, she rarely left her estate, but she still was a talk of town. Neighbors learned that she had refused to speak with her sister, who also lived in Carthage, by the way, for over 10 years. Why? Because even though Nugent had all this money, she didn't want to share her mother's estate with her sister. Or sisters, I should say. Because she still had a sister in Ohio that she still spoke to with semi-regularity. And Miss Nugent... She didn't even talk to her son. She didn't talk to Rod. He could, I don't know, he could go fuck himself. Because she only talked to him when it was absolutely necessary. You know, like, I get being a hermit, but that's... That's a lot. That's a lot. Um. So, yeah. By the time her husband passed away in 1990, Miss Nugent was pretty much alone. Uh, locals claim that Marjorie always acted like she was too good for the small town. I'm not gonna lie and say she wasn't. I'm not gonna lie and say she wasn't. Right? Because she wasn't just one of those old money people. Uh, 
Marjorie also was one of the people that was born in town that just couldn't seem to get out of it. Like, like, yeah, I don't blame her. Like, she's got money. She was, from a few of the photos I saw when she was younger, absolutely beautiful. She could have gone anywhere in the world and she ended up in Carthage. Carthage. You know, the town whose only claim to fame was, uh, what was it? They have the Texas Music, Texas Country Music Hall of Fame. Like, that's what they have. They have that and a bunch of pine trees. But that's all of East Texas, you know? Behind the pine curtain. Uh, deep in the piney woods of East Texas. But <laughs> I guess she didn't see the point in coming back. So if she made an appearance in town, she wouldn't acknowledge anybody. She wouldn't participate in civic activities or contribute to the town in any shape, form, or fashion. And didn't seem like she wanted to spend her money there. Same. I will actually drive with my gas tinging on empty until I get to Tenaha. I'm just, I'm just saying. And that's like a solid 15 minute drive, so... <laughs> she apparently would go sit in the bank that her and Rod had the had like the shares or whatever in just so she could glare at people I don't I don't see the point in that like I could stay home and glare at the phone book or something like I wouldn't go I wouldn't go straight to the bank just to like glare at people like I do I do that at work enough I don't I don't see the point in it, but she literally argued with a vet about charging her $45 to treat her fucking dog. It is $45. You are a multimillionaire. But she would not drop this until he lowered the price of treatment. Like, I, I don't understand this woman. She's bitter and angry and sad. And yeah, Carthage does that to people. I will be the first to admit it. Carthage does that to me. I'm angry, miserable, and sad. And I pass through there like three times a year. But, but who argues about a $45 vet bill, especially when you're a multi-millionaire? Right? I just, oh my god. Even if you aren't, just get your dog treated. Like, I don't know what was wrong with it, but I feel like the poor thing was in pain or something. I just... Oh my god. Anyway. So even the people that were really close to her... Claimed she was critical and kind of hard to love. But, like, aren't we all? Um, one of the teachers in town says she wasn't all that unfriendly, but she didn't go out of her way to be friendly, which can mean a lot in a small town. And yeah, it really can. Like, if you know anything about small town Texas, if you see someone you know and you speak to, like, you speak, you speak, you talk to them. Even if it's just a, hey, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. Literally, how's your mama and them? But Nugent wouldn't do any of that. She was very puckered. A lot of people say she was born like that. But like I said, from the photos I've seen, um, 
Miss Nugent was quite a lovely looking, like, beautiful woman. At least when she was younger. And I can see where they got the sourpuss look from some of the photos of her when she's older. But when Mr. Nugent passed of heart failure unexpectedly in 1990, very few people came to offer their condolences. Bernie would later tell others that he could see the loneliness etched on Miss Nugent's face as she stood by the casket. And when she started shivering, he gave her his coat. Which wouldn't be that out of character for Bernie, just from what I've seen. Because, like I said, he was the most loved man in town. Uh, Bernie sang a hymn and helped Miss Nugent to her car to go to the graveside service. And the only person that took any interest in Miss Nugent's well-being after the funeral was Bernie. I don't know if Miss Nugent had a single friend in town other than him, admits Danny Buck, the district attorney, who is later going to prosecute our case. Now, Bernie would begin taking Miss Nugent out for lunch, most often at the local jalapeno tree, and delicious, by the way. And leave her little notes while taking her to see theatrics at the local college. Panola Community College, just in case anybody's curious. They actually have a bomb theater department. Uh, Bernie made her smile. He gave her plenty of attention and he was an excellent conversationalist. It was like he made her feel young again, said Lloyd Tiller. Now, Miss Nugent seemed willing to do whatever it took to keep Tita around, because just months after the death of her husband, she gave Bernie a $12,000 Rolex. I'm going to say it again real slow for you. $12,000 Rolex that had belonged to her husband mere months after his death. Now, when I first saw that, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. My friends wouldn't even buy me a Slim Jim after knowing me for years. You mean to tell me that she just was like, oh yeah, by the way, here's this watch. Rod's not going to use it anymore. Yeah, and some people even said it was kind of startling coming from the town Grinch. Now, just a year later, just a year after her husband's death, Nugent ordered the bank to accept checks from her accounts signed by Bernie so he could help her tend to her bills. Now, Lloyd Tiller, that we mentioned a minute ago, was actually Miss Nugent's stockbroker. And when he asked if she was sure that she could trust Bernie, Miss <laughs> Nugent became absolutely livid and threatened to move all of her stocks out of Lloyd's brokerage, which is devastating because, uh, you know, that's a lot of money. I, I don't I don't know if I've stressed this yet, but um, Nugent was loaded. But. Regardless, uh, Bernie began spending his days off with Marjorie, and it seemed to have really upset some of the other widows he had been spending time with. Like, 
This wasn't just months after the funeral, by the way, when he'd bring him the gifts and check on him. This was years. Years after their husbands passed away. Like, Bernie loved his little widow ladies. Most of them thought that he could probably sing him, sing them to heaven and insisted that Bernie sang at their funerals. Now, one afternoon, Don Lipsy, Bernie's boss at the funeral home, called trying to find Bernie because I guess he hadn't shown up to work. But he was told by Miss Nugent that he was napping in the spare bedroom. That sounds a little sus to me, but I'm... Whatever. Now, yes, it sounded kind of sus to a few other people because gossip began to fly like it does in all small towns. Now, was Bernie trying to seduce Marjorie or was she trying to seduce Bernie? I guess it didn't matter either way because uh, years later it came out that Bernie was actually gay. Now, people always had their suspicions, speculation, whatever, but nobody really seemed to care because... Bernie was generous. Bernie was a kind man, generally speaking. Now, this is one of the main reasons that people suspected that he killed Marjorie for her money. Do I think he did? I don't know. I guess we'll have to keep, uh, keep looking and find out. One of Marjorie's close relatives said that I think Marjorie truly enjoyed the companionship with Bernie. And I think Bernie truly enjoyed Marjorie's money. Now, Marjorie's money must have been tempting for Bernie. Hell, it'd be tempting for me. Because he was making a reported $18,000 a year. He was constantly behind on credit card payments and owned over... I can't read. Owed over four thousand dollars in back taxes while Nugent was making between two hundred and three hundred thousand dollars a year in just gas and oil royalties by the way if you haven't figured it out like almost 30 minutes into the episode I'm a whole mess I'm chaotic I can't talk and I stumble over my words a lot that's not gonna get any better and if it does, it's going to be, like, very minutely. So, just a heads up, if you don't like chaos and you don't like to get sidetracked, probably not the podcast for you. But, Bernie's sister said he was a bioholic. He not only wanted to experience the finer things in life, but he loved buying as much as he could for others. He just ordered the same items over and over, like... Three boxes, three of the same chairs or boxes of cross pins just so he could give them away. Hey, Bernie. Hey, Bernie. Um, if you're still giving stuff away. Uh, no. No, we're not going to go there. No. Strictly a joke. I also have a really dark sense of humor, so if I say stuff like that, please know that it is all in fun because some of these cases are really going to bother me and if I don't laugh I'll cry so just a heads up again 
1993, Bernie told Don Lipsy that he was leaving the funeral home. So Bernie had been there for about nine years and Don loved him. Like I said, Bernie was a jack of all trades. But Miss Nugent had offered him a job with a much higher salary as her business manager and escort on trips around the world. And like I said, Lipsy was fond of Bernie. So despite his discomfort with what he described as, and I quote, Bernie's tutti-frutti speaking voice, uh, he didn't want him to go. Bernie, he warned, you know what kind of woman Miss Nugent is, and whatever you think you're going to get out of her, you're going to have to earn every penny of it. Don's wife also warned Bernie at the risk of changing jobs to work for Nugent, but he didn't listen. Now, in 91, when Nugent told the bank to accept checks signed by Bernie, and, you know, gave him the uh, fucking expensive Rolex. She also rewrote her will. And Bernie was the sole heir. Oh, yeah. Did I forget to mention that she also bought him, like, a $60,000 headstone? Like, flirting with the mortician 101 here, I guess. I'm... That's why I'm going to be cremated. And I want y'all to put me in like a solo cup and just kind of put some plastic wrap, plastic wrap over it and don't let the kids get a hold of me. That's what I want to do. But, again, she had written out all of her immediate family and even named Bernie Power of Attorney. <laughs> that rhymes. So, she claimed that they, her family didn't appreciate her. So they didn't deserve a damn thing. Understandable. Uh. Now, if Bernie hadn't taken the job with her, I think that he was afraid he was going to lose all that inheritance. But something that isn't talked about in the movie, and I'll get into that a little bit later, but... <laughs> Nugent's granddaughters had actually sued her at some point prior to this. And I, I don't know all the circumstances behind it, but generally speaking, even if I was the one in the wrong, if my family sued me, I'd write them out of my damn will too. Just, I would, I would write them out of my will. So I can't exactly blame her on this. But according to an article I found, they had sued her for part of her grandfather's trust or something. But, like, they never visited? Now, credit where credit's due, Amarillo is a long-ass way from Carthage, but... Like, they claimed that their grandmother was in such terrible shape that she was having trouble taking care of herself, which, fair, I guess, since she had Bernie there taking care of her full-time at this point. But the fact that she seemed, she was supposedly in such bad shape. I don't know if it's just me, but I would make an effort to go see my grandmother more often if she was 
you know, in the shape they claim Nugent was in. I just, I, I would, I would make an effort to go see my grandmother more often. That is ridiculous. But then you're going to sue her for not, I don't understand this. I, I don't. I'm going to be completely honest. Like, I would come down to see her more often. Just, I just, this baffles me because they say, oh, she's in such bad shape. Let's go visit her once every, I don't know, two, three, five years, something like that. Like, something about that don't add up. Just me? Just me? Okay. Um, so, Nugent advanced Bernie money that allowed him to buy a two-bedroom house just a mile from her estate. So, previous to this, he had been living in an apartment right behind Hawthorne Funeral Home, where he had been working. And I guess it really wasn't cutting it. Not only because... I guess it was such a small space that if she did go see him, she wouldn't have been comfortable there. But also the fact that buying him this house put him so much closer to her. And I guess I can understand that if he's like going to be your full-time caregiver. But at that point with the 6,000 square foot house, I couldn't get the bed and bath count on it. But I could assume that if he was going to be your living, like you could make him living. You get what I'm saying? Uh, I, I, I digress. I digress. Uh, so he actually even ended up taking Nugent's place on the board of directors at the bank and ended up terrorizing Lloyd. Just call after call after call, aggravating him. And eventually Lloyd had enough and snapped at Bernie and hung up the phone. Now, like... I get what everybody's thinking. Good for you, Lloyd. Like, good on you. Except for the fact that Miss Nugent immediately called him back after he hung up the phone and told him that he, he ever, ever spoke to Bernie like that again. That once again, she was going to move everything out of his brokerage. That sounds a little intense, but okay. So... As Bernie had been warned by his previous boss, Don, he had to pay a price. If he had his phone off or he was unavailable, that was no longer a problem. Because, thankfully, in the 80s and 90s, pagers were still popular. So what did Nugent hook him up with? You guessed it. He's on call 24-7. He can't go out with anybody. He cannot go and do anything without her. I can see where the stress is starting to come in, right? So like I said, he was pretty much her manslave at this point. That doesn't excuse what he did. But clip her toenails. Get her medicine ready. Take her to the bank. Take her to this town. Take her to run errands. Take her to get lunch. Clip her toenails. Paint her toenails. Paint her fingernails. Comb her hair. Brush her hair. Take her clothes to the dry cleaners. Pick her clothes up from the dry cleaners. By the way, you didn't take, uh, you didn't get my medicine ready for the next two weeks. What the fuck is wrong with you? Hey, Bernie, you need to do this. You need to do that. You need to do this. You need to do that. Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? I get that it's his job. But being on call 24-7 with no days off, just... People wonder why I don't like geriatric patients. I'm... 
<laughs> I'm not my mother's daughter on that one. So, yeah. She gave Bernie a pager and set him on a strict schedule where he had to call her at... What? At regular intervals? And she didn't care what she was interrupting. I mean, sh if he was dear, if he was in the middle of play practice, I had to call her. And if she called him, by God, he better answer the phone. Because he said that if he didn't answer the phone, there would be hell to pay. And, well, unfortunately, he wasn't the one that had to pay the hell. Bertie and Marjorie had been constant companions for years at this point. They had traveled the world. They would seen Broadway more times than I could count on both hands. Taking lavish cruises. And while they took those trips, it was always first class. Planes, clothes, meals, you name it. Everything was top notch. Now, Bernie's going to claim that it was Nugent's idea and decision to fly top first class. You know, do all of this top notch stuff. Which I don't doubt. I don't doubt that she was an old woman. She was, like, in her 80s at this point. Very early 80s. Like, late 70s, early 80s. But I don't blame her for, for wanting to travel comfortably. But I feel like Bernie ended up really enjoying that lifestyle. And I feel like he kind of wanted to get stay in it. You know what I'm saying? But... Unfortunately, the time came and Bernie started spending more and more and more of Miss Nugent's money. Now, people weren't going to know why for almost a year. But it wasn't small amounts. Like, he bought no less than 10 cars, a home, two businesses, and even funded multiple scholarships and led fundraising drives for the Boy Scouts. He even pledged $100,000 to the Methodist Church to help pay for a new prayer wing. A hundred thousand dollars. That's that is an insane amount of money that I'm probably never going to see, much less have. Uh I mean, he didn't use his own money for any of this, of course, but I mean like he's got the spirit, I guess. I whatever. Some people thought that Bernie had been having a positive effect on Miss Nugent up until then. He'd been getting her back to church and even getting her to socialize with a couple of people. But, in 1995, Bernie told his sister that he thought Miss Nugent had developed a touch of dementia. Okay. So, she had fired her gardeners because her flowers supposedly didn't bloom on time. Now, I see other people say that she thought the gardener hadn't planted her flowers, but it just wasn't time for them to bloom. I've also seen people say, and they point this out in the movie, which was a part of it. She thought that her gardener was stealing her lawnmower, even though he told her that he needed to take it and have some basic maintenance done on it. So, she had even forced Bernie to buy a twenty-two hunting rifle to shoot armadillos that had been rooting up her yard. Now... At some point, Bernie claims that there were never any armadillos, which I think is why he thought she had dementia. And like I said, she was in like her 80s. 
like late. I think she was like seventy nine or eighty when this was going on. So yeah, like I could understand that she probably did have a touch of dementia or Alzheimer's, but I don't think it would have been that bad because she really seemed like she, you know, like she kind of had it all together up until that point. So Bernie says he remembers her supervising him as he hunted the armored pests. And he had ended up expressing concerns to his sister and had talked about how controlling the woman had become. Now, you may be asking, Bernie, why didn't you just leave? Well, he says he feels like he couldn't because she was all that he had. Because he was all that she had. Now, Bernie also recalls that if he had ever tried to leave a conflict with Miss Nugent, that she would just lock him into her estate by closing the gates before he could get through them. Whack. Thanksgiving 1996 rolls around. Bernie had went to see his sister, claiming that Miss Nugent was with her sister in Ohio. You know, as one does. Christmas of that year, Bernie decorated the home and told anybody that had asked that Miss Nugent was still in Ohio. Now, I said she'd talk to this sister with semi-regularity, sure, but I don't... I don't think I would go up there and stay that long with, like, any of my family. I love my family, don't get me wrong. I just, you know. Now, by early spring, he was telling people that she was ill, bedridden, and not accepting visitors. That's a dramatic change from, you know, December. In late spring, he was saying that she was in Scott and White Hospital in Temple, Texas, recovering from a stroke. I think I'm about to have one trying to keep this story straight. Oh my god. So you mean to tell me that she went from like traveling up to Ohio by herself to see her sister, staying up there for a couple of months, and then she comes home, all of a sudden she's sick, she's bedridden, she can't see anybody, talk to anybody, and then all of a sudden, oh god, she's stroking out over here? I, something about that doesn't check. And that is exactly what Lloyd thought too. <laughs> what a V.I. fucking P. Now, he had been trying to contact Miss Nugent, and she hadn't answered him. She hadn't answered any calls, messages, or anything. But Bernie had a reason. Miss Nugent, according to him, had Alzheimer's, and she couldn't remember Lloyd having called or sent her messages. Taylor called a big pile of bullshit. Now, he didn't think that Bernie had hurt her. Like, Lloyd was going to give him that much benefit of the doubt. Like, he didn't think that Bernie had harmed Nugent at all. But, whew, unfortunately, November 19th, 1996, things escalated. Now... Some people claim it was a psychotic break. Some people believe that she found out that Bernie had been stealing money. But that morning, nothing seemed particularly off. They had been leaving for Longview, Texas to rent errands and have lunch. But on the way to the car, the day took a dark turn when 
Bertie Tita shot Miss Nugent in the back four times with an armadillo gun. He had it stored in the pantry leading into the garage. After shooting her, Bernie placed Miss Nugent's body in her deep freeze and went to play rehearsal. Like nothing was wrong. <sighs> Bernie's been quoted as saying, well, I'll deal with this later. Damn. You'll deal with this later. Okay, so he claimed us to keep the body cold like you would in a morgue. That's understandable. But the morgue holds a body for maybe a week, two weeks at best. Like at absolute most, like if it's in an ongoing investigation or something. But like, Bernie does realize that bodies start to, you know, even in colder climates, uh, deteriorate. Uh... He recalls having taken food out of the freezer before placing Nugent inside and covering her with it. Now, some people say that he took and he cleaned her up and wrapped her in a sheet and then put her in the deep freeze. But other people say that he just, you know, took food out and was like, yeet, and then covered her back up. That's, that's the version I always heard growing up, and that's the one I'm sticking to. I don't think he covered her with a sheet or anything. He just kind of went, yeah, I'll deal with this later, and then put her in the freezer. That's that's what I think happened. That's what that's that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. So according to Danny Buck, <laughs> Bernie had also said on the stand when asked how he felt about Miss Nugent being in the her freezer at his hand, Bernie responded with, "Well, when I thought about it, it made me sad. Oh my bad, it made me feel bad." So I didn't think about it. Well, shit, if that's all it takes, my anxiety is cured. Oh, uh, you know, made me anxious when I thought about it. So I just didn't think about it. I... When I thought about it, it made me feel bad. So I didn't think about it. How do you just block that out of your memory? Block that out of your mind? Like, I get it if it happens, like, as a traumatic event, like, your brain will kind of block that off. But... And I understand that she was, you know, manipulative and conniving. Fucking so is everybody else, to a degree. But... Alright... Bernie, buddy, um, you're not the victim here. You're not the one sitting in the freezer. Okay? You're, your mind's not the one that should be blocking shit out. That should be her granddaughter, and we'll talk about that in a second. So, later in the same interview that we were talking about earlier, he even set the record straight about where he killed her. Bernie says, People think that she was in the kitchen and all that kind of stuff. She was right there. It was just a little pantry. It was right by the by the door leading from the garage into the house. It was it was no big deal. It was right there. This is also important because I have some thoughts about this. Keep that in mind for later. 
Now, when Bernie said that uh, he'd deal with it later, later came nine months later on August 18th, 1997. Now, according to sources, the Panola County Sheriff's Office conducted a welfare check at the urging of Lloyd, her stockbroker, and her family. Now, her family had came down to check on her, and the reason why... The reason why may surprise you. Uh, Lloyd contacted the sheriff's office, and they were like, Yeah, I don't think anything's up, but we'll contact her family and see if they've heard from her. And they were like, You know what? We haven't heard from Grandma in a while. You think? You think you haven't heard from Grandma in a while? She's just sitting there chilling. So, like I said, Panola County Sheriff's Office went to check on her. Her family came down to check on her, you know. Now, they said nothing was wrong, particularly with the house, except for the fact that it had looked unlifted. That's one way to put it. So, her granddaughter suggested that they check the freezer because if her grandmother had went on a trip, then she would have probably put all of her, you know, good food in the deep freezer to keep it fresh for when she got back because Miss Nugent had lived through the Depression. She, you know, she was going to preserve as much food as she could. And her granddaughter, Alexandria, states, it was so quick. And it was like, I walked in and said, there's tape on the freezer. And I threw the lid open. I don't know about you, but I can't imagine saying, you know what, let's go check on Grandma. And then when I get there and I'm like, I don't see her. And I look at the deep freeze and the top of her head's poking up. I don't, I don't know. Like, what would you do in that situation? Because I'm baffled. I have no clue. So Danny Buck states that she untaped it and raised it up. And there was the top of Miss Nugent's head. And see, that's another reason I kind of doubt the wrapped-in-a-sheet theory. But they loaded the freezer onto the back of a flatbed truck with an electric generator and shipped it to Dallas for analysis. And later that day, they found Bernie and arrested him about to buy dinner for a Little League baseball team. They apparently walked in and said, we need to talk to you. And Bernie said, right now? And they're like... Yeah, this is kind of important. Uh, we really need to have a conversation. And the same day they brought him in, a few hours later, Bernhardt Tita II confessed to Panola County Sheriff's deputies that he had indeed murdered Miss Nugent in November of 1996. Bernie says... I thought of hitting Marjorie in the head with a bat or anything for a couple of months prior to November 19th, 1996, but I did not want her to suffer. Marjorie had a rifle in the freezer closet. I had moved the rifle to the bathroom near the garage. She had walked out into the garage towards my car. I took the rifle and shot Marjorie in the back. She fell face first. 
Marjorie was still breathing heavily, so I shot her again. I may have shot her one more time. I did not want her to suffer. I then dragged her by the feet from the garage to the freezer. I had taken food from the freezer. I placed her into the freezer and covered her with the food. I took a water hose and washed the blood from the garage. I swept up the bullets along with some leaves and threw them away. Yeah, keep this in mind along with the correcting everybody on how she was killed. That's going to come in handy. Danny Buck Davidson, the district attorney of Carthage, Texas, would charge Bernie with first-degree premeditated murder and seek a sentence of life in prison. Good on you, Danny Buck. Good on you. But this is where things get weird. Like they weren't already. So, you know how I talked about how much people loved Bernie? Oh, Bernie, he's such a great guy. Yeah, he bought me a car. Yeah, you know? We're, uh, we're a new little family starting out. Bernie bought us a house. Yeah, you know, I discovered my aluminum bottom boat had a hole in it. And so, when I mentioned it to Bernie, I got outside the next day. is like Christmas. You know, the, uh, I had a brand new boat sitting in my yard. Made it up, ready to go. Brand new truck to pull it with, too. Like, people loved Bernie. And God, did they hate Miss Nugent. And this was so abundantly clear when <laughs> they said, Hey, we just want to let y'all know that Bernie killed someone. And the town came back with, No, he didn't. No, no, Bernie didn't kill anybody. Poor man, I can't believe he's being convicted of murder. Why would you do that to him? He is such a nice young man. I mean, as somebody put it, anybody in town would have put a bullet in her back for $5. Do you know how much of a bitch you have to be? To die and then have everybody feel bad for your killer? Do you have any idea? I don't. I'm a bitch. And I don't think anybody would kill me for $5. You'd at least have to give him an ice cream sandwich to go with it. I mean, damn. I digress. Poor Bernie. Poor Bernie. Poor Bernie! Most people said that he was an angel roaming the earth, to which Danny Buck responded, He's an angel, alright. An angel of death. Again, good on you, Danny Buck. But yeah, Bernie was so well loved by the people of the town that Danny Buck, you know, the prosecutor, had to uh had to ask for a change of venue, which is virtually unheard of because usually Usually it's the other way around. They think they're not going to get a fair trial. Buck knew that he wouldn't get a conviction unless they moved it out of the county, and which they did when it was moved to San Augustine County in 1999 and the trial commenced. And oh boy. So Danny Buck used the angle of greed and betrayal in his argument 
and it worked. They said the trial lasted less than a week and deliberations only lasted about 20 minutes before the jury came back with the decision of guilty. Bernie was charged with life in prison for the murder of Marjorie Nugent in February of 1999. Makes sense. Makes sense. That's why I like this case so much. But in 2014, things changed. Bernie was temporarily released on bail to the custody, custody, custody of Richard Linklater. Probably said that wrong. But if the name sounds familiar, it should because he was a movie director who conveniently had taken an interest in the case and uh, written the movie Bernie in 2012. The movie ended up starring Jack Black as Bernie Tita, and according to Miss Nugent's family, was a very watered-down version of what actually happened. Now, Bernie was free roaming the streets of, I want to say, Austin for two years. And on April 6, 2016, Bernie stood trial once again for resentencing. The visiting judge, Diane DeVasto, called both the murder resentencing and a related unsolved felony theft charge when she had convened at the pretrial hearing. Now, I don't know much about the felony theft charge. Um, some people also said money laundering. I don't, I don't know. But arguments during nearly two years of court hearings, so I'm assuming trying to get appeals or something, um, had commingled the two charges. So they said two birds, one stone, let's do it. Let's knock it out. Let's get it. I ain't got time for this. So, she was using Bernie to launder that money, defender Jody Cole told DeVastro that Wednesday. Now, Bernie had a change of lawyers, change of attorneys, in between his two trials. In his original trial, he was represented by a very well-known lawyer in the area called Scrappy, but it was taken over by Jody Cole, for the 2016 trial because she had seen the movie and became interested in what was going on. So she decided to take a deeper look and thought that she could help Bernie. Now, she dropped the name of a miracle deduction trust as the basis for the claim, but she didn't describe anything about it. I, I don't know why you're going to do that if you're not going to give more information, but okay. So... The information on the motion, Cole was arguing at the time, remained locked in the 123rd District Courtroom after the court hearing on Wednesday and wasn't made publicly available for a deeper look at what the trust was or its relationship to Tita and Nugent. I don't even know if it was a real thing. I don't know if she's talking out of her ass or what, but whatever. So, we believe she was abusing Mr. Tita by forcing him to take questionable financial actions, said Cole. And she argued for a trial delay, which was denied. I found that in this discovery of evidence received last week, it was serious. I'm finding these things, and I can't believe my eyes, what I'm seeing. This is extremely relevant. Now, Cole didn't elaborate on that, other than to say it plays into the defense argument that Tita snapped when he shot Nugent four times in the back 
Just saying. As uh, the pair were about to drive to Longview to speak with the banker about Nugent's accounts. Which is, I'm assuming, the errands that they were going to go run before they had lunch. Like, you know, uh, hey, we're going to go see these accounts. Then we're going to have a nice uh, sit down and talk. Uh, a little bit of a come to Jesus meeting. All right, Bernie? So you've been stealing from me. Which is how I feel he thought that was going to play out. And uh, <laughs> so prosecutor pro Tim Lisa Tanner who took over for Danny Buck, replied that the box of evidence that her team delivered to the defense last the week before, Box 30, contained inconsequential information. It's old family stuff that I don't believe is relevant, Tanner said. Now, that old family stuff, that old family stuff was uh, actually books on childhood sexual abuse and how to cope with it which is why i said remember his uncle uh what was his uncle's name i don't know it wasn't important anyway so that old family stuff that was supposedly in the evidence box was coping with childhood sexual abuse and cole believed that if it had come before the initial jury that tita might have gotten a lighter sentence now, I'm not a lawyer. I don't. I don't know. I don't know all the legal anything. I'm legal jargon. I don't know shit. But their argument was that Bernie had suffered a psychotic break and had disassociated in episodes of past abuse. Yeah, you know that other thing I told you to remember about all the uh, about all the detail that Bernie went into. Now, personally, if Bernie disassociated like they say he did, I don't think he would have remembered what happened in such vivid detail. Like, I get running on autopilot. I do it all the time. Kind of disassociate from reality, but I... I I don't know. I have gaps in time that I don't remember, and I know this affects everybody differently because my trauma is different than his trauma whatever, but... I don't think he would have remembered it in such vivid detail. Like, I know when I'm mad and I kind of snap and disassociate, I don't remember shit. I remember what happened directly before and I remember what happened as soon as the red dies down, but I don't remember anything in between. And that's, that's scary. That's terrifying. But that just seems to be kind of the general consensus when something like that happens and you fly into a rage. Maybe he's one of the few people that remember it in, like, excruciating detail. I don't, I don't know. I just found it was weird that he could kind of, you know, make all these different corrections if he had been in the process of a mental break. But, alas, this didn't help him any. So, Bernie was resentenced to 99 years to life in prison with the possibility of parole in 2029. I mean, I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens when that comes. If I'm still doing this, which hopefully will be, I'll uh, I'll update y'all when we find something out. Because I'm kind of curious about this myself. What I'm even more curious about is why he went to why he went in for a resentencing trial when he had already served somewhere between 15, 17 years. I'm not doing math right now. Uh, of his original sentence, and he would have gotten out of prison 
but now he's right because life in prison at the time i believe in this particular area of texas was 30 years 30 years is life in prison so he would have fucking gotten out pretty pretty much like a given in 2029 but he went back for a resentencing and now he has a possibility of parole to me it just sounds like he fucked himself over but i'm again i'm not a lawyer i'm don't have anybody i can talk to in the legal system to know for sure but that just kind of weird to me uh now i know i said that lloyd was kind of an mvp but and he was i mean he raised enough concern that they finally called her family and found her but the only reason that people started looking for is because they weren't getting their money. Lloyd wasn't getting paid. Why? He couldn't move Miss Nugent's assets around. He couldn't move her stocks. Unless he talked to her. He wouldn't or he couldn't. I don't know which it was. I kind of want to say wouldn't. Because he really seemed like he was kind of concerned for her. She was one of the... He was one of the few people that Miss Nugent talked to. Like pretty consistently. Probably even more consistently than her Ohio sister. Uh, yeah, he wouldn't move her stocks around if she didn't talk to her. And, uh, quite unfortunately, that was costing Lloyd a pretty penny. Can't move it around, can't do your job, you don't get paid. And a multi-million dollar client, not being able to do that is definitely a chunk. Definitely a chunk. But, he wasn't the only one. Now, his family didn't even seem concerned until they realized that they weren't getting their checks that I believe were granted to them via her husband's will. I mean, good job, Bernie. You forgot to pay the bills. You got caught before you could give her a proper burial as you supposedly wanted to do. Now, I mean, honestly, I can kind of understand how they forgot to pay her, forgot to pay her grandkids, because the shit, they came and saw her so often, I don't see how anybody could forget to do that. But, I kind of need to wrap this up, because I was trying to edit this, and I made it longer by like four pages, went from like nine pages to 13, instead of like, you know, nine to five, like I was planning to. But... I'm going to leave y'all the interview that I did with an actual business owner from Carthage at the time, who also just happens to be my dearest, dearest grandmother. Uh, so these were all texts. You're going to hear both sides of the conversation. Um, when I started researching this, she, she was actually the first person I talked to before I started doing any kind of more in-depth research. I asked her what she remembered about the case, and she said that she was sleeping with a bunch of the big men in Carthage. Which would kind of make sense if he did enjoy this lavish lifestyle, you know? And it also makes sense because supposedly on top of the books that they found and confiscated from his house, they also confiscated some uh, some dirty tapes, you know? And one guy even showed up at the football stadium at a home game that said, I'm the only man not on the tapes, which, you know what, you do you, you do you. Uh, yeah, she claimed that he was sleeping with a bunch of the big men in Carthage. And now, 
I asked what their initial reaction was when she was found because I they owned a scrapyard. They owned a scrapyard called BNC Scrap in Carthage where, you know, she said, yeah, it was on the news that we had always opened old freezers and stuffed them with junk, but not after that. I definitely do not blame her. I would not open a freezer either. I'm fairly certain when I originally asked her about it, she said she was sitting in the office doing some paperwork or something with an old TV playing, and uh, it came across that Nugent had been found in her deep freeze, and she walked out into the yard where my grandfather was, and she said, Danny, not Danny Buck, but Danny, uh, don't open that freezer. And he said, why? I'm finna throw some shit in it. She said, don't open your freezer that, uh, they just found Marjorie Nugent shoved in hers. And he said, yeah, you know what? I don't think I will open this freezer. Good, good, good call. Good call. I went on to ask about some conflicting articles I had found about who had initially found the body. She said, uh, Sheriff went on a welfare check, searched the house because no one had heard from her for months. Yeah. And like I said, Brittany had power of attorney, so he could do damn near anything he wanted with her finances, so nobody thought it was weird. And I asked her, I said, I have another very important question. Do you think that Bernie would have killed again had he not been caught? Either if it were for fun or if he were put under similar circumstances. And she said, yes. It would have been easier from then on. So what do you think? Would Bernie have killed again? Was this a one-time thing? Do you think he'd ever give Miss Nugent the proper burial that he claimed he was going to because that's what she deserved what do you think what do you think i want to hear your thoughts but that was the very first episode of cryptids crime and solo cups i really hope y'all enjoyed it i know the episode is a little long about an hour and 10 minutes or so but i felt like it was necessary to get all the necessary information and uh, I feel like this is about how my episodes are going to run. So if you're not into long episodes, sorry. Um, but if you like this episode and you want to see more, shoot me an email at cryptidscrimesandsolocups at gmail.com or check us out on TikTok and Instagram at cryptidscrimesandsolocups. No spaces for photos related to the crimes or to send in a suggestion for a future episode or if you just want to say hi and let me know how I'm doing, by all means. Um, yeah, that about wraps it up for today. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day. And I will talk to you again next week. Bye.